Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast. Relevant and engaging content designed to help you dominate the day. Behind the Knife would like to sincerely thank Medtronic for sponsoring the entire 2023 Absite podcast series. Medtronic has a rich history of supporting surgical education, and we couldn't be happier they chose a partner with Behind the Knife. Their sponsorship goes a long way in supporting us as we develop exciting new content. As surgeons, we know and love Medtronic for their trusted brands like the Signia, Tri-Staple Smart Stapling Platform, and Ligature Vessel Sealer. But Medtronic's impact extends well beyond the operating room. Medtronic's mission is to engineer the extraordinary. And with 90,000 plus people in over 150 countries, Medtronic is committed to accelerating access to healthcare technology, advancing inclusion, diversity, and equity, and protecting our planet. Learn more at Medtronic.com. Are you a passionate surgical educator with something to say? Then join Behind the Knife and let the world hear. Behind the Knife is the number one surgery podcast in the world, with each episode reaching 20,000 listeners. Our current group of subspecialty teams have created incredibly diverse and engaging content, but their commitments are nearly finished, and we want to open up the opportunity to all of our listeners. We're looking for teams of three to four surgeons who will develop one new subspecialty podcast every four months. To learn more, check out the show notes or contact us at hello at behindthenife.org. Applications are due February 13th. Welcome to another episode of AppSite Review on Behind the Knife. Today we are recording a brand new episode for you guys, urology. Very heavily tested topic on AppSite every year. Even though these are just a few questions, if you nail down the basics of kidney stones, testicular cancer, and some of the other high yield points, I think we should be covered for the urology topic for AppSite. So today I have Shanaz and myself, Shreya, and we will be going over our urology AppSite review. Shanaz, let's start off this episode by talking about anatomy. So one of the questions will likely be about the renal pelvis and the structures are leading into it, mainly the vessels. Going from anterior to posterior, the first one is the renal vein. Next will be the renal artery, and then we'll actually be in the renal pelvis. There's some a few nuances with regards to the vessels, depending on which side you are looking at. On the left side, the renal vein crosses anterior to the aorta, And actually, the renal vein can be ligated directly at its junction with the IVC. The reason for this is because there will be a lot of secondary collaterals that will allow for drainage to still occur. I'm pretty sure I've seen a question or two about this. On the right side, the renal artery passes posterior to the IVC. And this comes into play when you have some retroperitoneal bleeding from an unknown source potentially on the right side after a trauma, for example. What about the spermatic cord structures? For the spermatic cord, we'll need to know which structures are actually contained within it. And this includes the testicular artery, pampiniform plexus, vas deferens, cremasteric muscles, the ilioinguinal nerve, and the genital branch of the genitofemoral nerve. I think that's all we have for anatomy, high yield hits. Let's move on to kidney stones. That's good. So the next big topic in urology is kidney stones. 
There are several different kinds of kidney stones that we need to know for abscite. The most common one, nearly 75%, is the calcium oxalate stone. These are radio-opaque, and this is increased in risk in patients with terminal ileum resection because there is increased oxalate absorption in colon. Second up is the struvite stones. These are your magnesium ammonium phosphate stones, also radio-opaque, and usually occurs in infections with proteus that, are, that release urease, and these can also cause the staghorn colliculi. The third most important thing in kidney stones to remember are the uric acid stones. These are radiolucent and increased risk in patients with ileostomies, gout, and myeloproliferative disorders. The fourth one and the final stone that we need to know about is the cysteine stones. Again, radiolucent and associated with congenital disorders in the reabsorption of cysteine. And this can be prevented by taking theoponin. So, Shanaz, what are the indications for surgery in kidney stones? So, with kidney stones, we don't rush to surgery. We try and medically treat these patients with IV fluid, pain management, and waiting for the stone to hopefully pass. Reasons to pull the trigger and go to surgery is if the patients have intractable pain, develop an infection. If we think that the stone is causing progressive obstruction or renal damage, if the stone is unlikely to spontaneously pass. So these are stones that are on the larger side. The number to remember is greater than six millimeters or patients who have kidney stones within their single solitary kidney. So these are the indications for surgery. Shreya, what do we actually do for kidney stones from a surgical perspective? The surgical intervention is only, like you said, after the medical treatment. The surgical intervention can be doing several different things. One of them would be doing the extracorporeal shockwave lithotripsy, also known as the ESWL. Thing to remember is that this cannot be used in pregnancy. Patients with bleeding diastasis, stones that are several centimeters in size. Secondly, you can also do a scope, urethroscope for stone extraction, placement of a stent past the obstruction. You can do a percutaneous nephrostomy tube. And finally, you can do an open nephrolithotomy. Taking up to our next topic in urology is one of the most commonly tested topic, testicular cancer. Shanaz, walk us through some of the demographics for testicular cancers and what the workup should be for the cancer. Sure. So testicular cancer in a question stem will commonly be in a young male between 25 or 35 years old who's presenting to the office with a painless hard mass in his testicle. Testicular cancer is the number one cancer in men in this demographic, so again, age 25 to 35, that can lead to death. If there is a testicular mass within this demographic, then it's most likely going to be malignant. Workup for a testicular mass includes using an ultrasound to evaluate the mass 
and you can follow that imaging up with CT chest, abdomen, pelvis to check for any mess. And then also evaluating the biochemical markers, beta HCG, alpha fetoprotein, and LDH. So Shreya, we just went through the workup for testicular cancer, but there's different types. Can you walk us through those? So one of the key things to remember in urology in testicular cancers are the subtypes. The two subtypes of testicular cancer are seminoma and non-seminobitous testicular cancer. Seminoma, this is your number one testicular tumor. The key thing to remember is the biochemical workup of these patients. For a patient with seminoma testicular cancer, they are not going to have an AFP elevation. If this is elevated, this needs to be treated like a non-seminomatous testicular cancer. Seminomas are highly sensitive to radiation. So all stages get a orchiectomy followed by retroperitoneal radiation. Chemo is reserved mostly for metastatic disease or bulky retroperitoneal disease. And then surgical resection sometimes can be done for residual disease. Coming to the non-seminomatous testicular cancer, there are several types of those you can have in embryonal, a teratoma, a choriocarcinoma, or a yolk sac. The key biochemical things to remember are that these patients will have their AFP, also the alpha fetoprotein, and beta HCG elevated. 90% of the tumors are going to present with this biochemical elevation. The treatment is orchiectomy plus a retroperitoneal node dissection for all stages. For a stage two, these patients will also receive chemotherapy followed by surgical resection for any residual disease. What is the key thing to remember, Shanaz, for all these surgery for testicular cancer? It's actually about how we approach the surgery via incision. So an orchiectomy is actually done through an inguinal incision. And the reason for this is to avoid disrupting the lymphatics. Perfect. All right, moving on to prostate cancer. All right, Chanaz, a little rapid fire. What is the most common site for prostate cancer? The posterior lobe of the prostate. Perfect. And what about the most common site for the metastases with prostate cancer? It's actually to the bone, and these will be osteoblastic mets. And on x-ray, that means that these lesions will show up as a hyperdense area on the bone. Excellent. What's the workup of prostate cancer? For workup of prostate cancer, we usually get a pathological diagnosis through a transrectal biopsy. For imaging, we get the typical CT chest, abdomen, and pelvis. And then since this cancer commonly metastasizes to the bone, we'll add on a bone scan if we have concern for any meth. In terms of biochemical markers, the markers that we look for are PSA and ALKFOS. If a patient has an elevated ALKFOS, this is worrisome for either an extracapsular disease or METS. Okay, I walked through the workup. Shreya, can you walk us through the treatment options? Absolutely. 
So the treatment for prostate cancer usually de- depends on the type of tumor and metastases present. For an intracapsular tumor with no metastases, you have three options. You can either undergo radiation or surgical resection, which is a radical prostatectomy plus pelvic lymph node dissection, or nothing. The nothing treatment option depends on the age of the patient as well as their other comorbidities. A lot of times, prostate cancer is a very slow and indolent growth, and usually for patients with increased age or other health issues, nothing is also an option. Stage 1A disease found with TERP, treatment is, is usually nothing. For the extracapsular invasion or metastatic disease, the treatment is radiation followed by androgen ablation. This is usually done by glutamide, bilateral orchiectomy. In a prostatectomy, your PSA should go to zero after three weeks. And if it does not, you have to follow it up by getting a bone scan to check for metastases again. All right, let's move along and talk about renal cell carcinoma, also known as the hypernephroma. This is the number one primary tumor of the kidney. Shanaz, how do these patients present? These patients will present with flank pain and hematuria. At the time of diagnosis, a third of these patients will likely have metastatic disease. How do you treat renal cell carcinoma, and what is the most common site for metastases if they have any? So for renal cell carcinoma treatment, patients will have to undergo a radical nephrectomy. This involves removing the kidney, adrenal, fat, derotus fascia, and regional nodes on the affected side. In patients that have METs, which as you mentioned, is typically one third of the cases, we can perform resection on isolated metastases. The two area that you can see isolated metastases is either the lung or the colon. For the lung, this will be a wedge resection. Between the two of those, the lung is actually the most common location for renal cell cancer metastasis. These cancers are also interesting in that they're are a lot of perineoplastic syndromes. Can you list a few of the syndromes that can occur simultaneously with these renal cell cancers, Shreya? So the perineoplastic syndromes included are renin, erythropoietin, PTHRP, ACTH, and insulin. Shanaz, what is the syndrome related to RCC? So if you see a patient that has multifocal and or recurrent RCC, you want to start thinking of von Hippel-Lindau syndrome. These patients may also have CNS tumors, renal cyst, or pheochromocytomas in their medical history as well. I think that's all we have for renal cell cancer. Let's keep on moving down and move on to bladder cancer. Absolutely. So this is usually your transitional cell carcinoma. This presents as a painless hematuria. The number one risk factor for these patients is smoking, as well as cyclophosphamide, as well as aniline dye. The workup typically consists of doing the cystoscopy. Shanaz, what is the treatment for bladder cancer? 
So the treatment, like all the other cancers, depends on the stage that we catch it at. The division for bladder cancer is whether or not the muscle is involved. T1, when the muscle is not involved, entails an intravesicular ECG or a transurethral resection. T2 and above will involve the muscle. So these patients will require a cystectomy with ileal conduit, chemotherapy, and radiation therapy. There's a mnemonic that's available to help remember the different type of chemotherapy regimens effective on bladder cancer. The mnemonic is MVAC, and running it down, M stands for methotrexate, V stands for vinblastine, A stands for adriamycin, and C stands for cisplatin. These are all the treatments if there is non-metastatic disease present. If there is METs present at time of diagnosis, those patients simply undergo chemotherapy. Very good. I think that concludes our major topics of urology for Appside. Let's end this episode by discussing some quick hits. All right, I'll start off. What is the most common cause of acute renal insufficiency after surgery? Hypotension. Perfect. Shreya, what childhood condition leads to increased risk of testicular cancer? Undescended testicles. And this will most likely be seminoma. A quick recall, seminomas were the ones which will not have the AFP elevation. All right, moving on. A sudden onset of severe testicular pain in a teenage boy, what should you be thinking? Testicular torsion. So these patients will present with a high riding testis that is tender and swollen. A lot of times, the differential for these patients will include acute epididymitis. However, those patients, in addition to their acute onset testicular pain, will also present with fever and pyuria. The spermatic cord is also very tender, and you can distinguish between the two conditions with an ultrasound. If appears to be testicular torsion, then the treatment will be an emergent detorsion and bilateral orchiopexy. If the testicle is not viable when you are in the operating room, perform a resection on the affected side and complete an orchiopexy on the contralateral testis. All right. What is the most common tumor of the kidney? The most common tumor is actually metastases, and this is usually from breast cancer. What is the syndrome associated with multifocal and recurrent RCC? Repetition is a key to memorization. And as I mentioned before, this will be von Hippel-Lindau syndrome. He notes in this question stem to help point you towards this diagnosis will be history of renal cyst, CNS tumors, and or pheochromocytomas. Last but not least, Shreya. A patient underwent TERP and in the recovery area starts to have seizures or AMS. What's going on? So this is your post-TERP syndrome, which is caused by hyponatremia secondary to irrigation with water. The way you treat this is doing sodium correction with diuresis. And that wraps it up for our urology abside review for Behind the Knife. 
Until then, dominate the day. Thanks for listening, and thank you to Medtronic for supporting surgical residents preparing for the 2023 app site. Since 1949, Medtronic has relentlessly pursued therapies that change lives. Today, we thank Medtronic for supporting surgical residents as they relentlessly pursue their dreams. From all of us at Behind the Knife and Medtronic, dominate the app site. Be sure to check out our website at www.behindthenife.org for more great content. You can also follow us on Twitter at Behind the Knife and Instagram at Behind the Knife Podcast. If you like what you hear, please take a minute to leave us a review. Content produced by Behind the Knife is intended for health professionals and is for educational purposes only. We do not diagnose, treat, or offer patient-specific advice. Thank you for listening. Until next time, dominate the day.